You're listening to Thoughts on Art, the Punching Up Thought Cast. Hey, Pshemek. Shesh. <laughs> Shesh, Amir. Shesh. Salam alaikum, Pshemek. <laughs> Happy uh, belated um, Canadian Thanksgiving. Was that two oh, days ago? It was. Thank you. <laughs> I could really go for a stuffing and mashed potatoes and gravy and pumpkin pie oh damn me too and i'm uh still trying to get to the bottom of the colonial roots of canadian thanksgiving because i know it's not the same as american thanksgiving mm-hmm. when uh when i grew up in canada there was no uh pilgrim story being told at school or anything mm-hmm. it did was they, uh, just uh, about the did they combine it this year with national coming out day <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't celebrate that Maybe next episode you can share your coming out story with us. <laughs> I think my ne- next year I'm going back into the closet. That's my resolution. <laughs> I have had it. <laughs> is it is it that wedding video? Has it? Oh my god, we should link that uh, in the uh, in the pods page. Can you describe yeah. it for our listeners? Uh, remember when <laughs> flat listeners remember when flash mobs were big ten years ago? Uh, as seen on the today show every morning uh well there's one doing stupid love at a gay wedding and the groom i guess they're both grooms uh one of them is very tight with his choreography and the Uh, suit is also very tight yeah the suit is very tight it's sandy colored uh friend of the pod Tomasa, said the butt looked good at least mm-hmm. but <laughs> there's some foliage in the background it's yeah. definitely autumn themed i just feel like one of them did too much mephadrone and uh mm-hmm. the energy is too high yeah i think they they handed out poppers to the <laughs> guests <laughs> who are sitting socially distanced and okay so that will be on the thoughts on art instagram that's thoughts with a zero because Instagram has blocked the word thoughts. Mm-hmm. They forced us into gamer naming territory. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so what's uh, what happens in the video? Oh, so, you know, there's a, like a very white gospel choir, essentially, in the back. Uh, just like starting some choreography. And then uh, Stupid Love starts playing the Gaga flop single. And the... It's One actually not, not her worst. I honestly think it's her worst really? single. Yes. <laughs> Definitely her like, worst lead single. I feel like anything out of Joanne was just not just unmemorable, <laughs> but also just I wanted to push it into unmemorability. <laughs> like, I remember us trying to blast it in the yellow Jeep Wrangler driving around Tuscany and doing a residency. It was just like, no, switch, next song. <laughs> it was just terrible. Yeah. No, and especially the tracks like Pinot Grigio Girls. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so then, uh, yeah, he busts out into the, like, very aggressive choreography. And and I feel like this is a real kind of gay schism. It's like you either think it's cute or you're a... (laughs) 
disturbed by it. I feel like it's at a magnitude of the gender reveal party that caused the insane wildfires in California. <laughs> it should have just like the earth should have split in two after that dance. Yeah, it looks like obnoxious. a super spreader event. It's like doing a doing high high intensity interval training in front of your uh, dearly beloved and then yeah, uh, exactly. That's super what happened. spreading your germs. Yeah, that's what happens when you don't uh, curb and curtail theater kid tendencies at a young age. <laughs> I blame LaGuardia. You hear that? <laughs> uh, what have you been up to, Amir? What have I been up to? Nothing really. Just trying to go to the gym without catching COVID. <laughs> uh, my daily routine of drinking my Montepulciano, reading Elena Ferrante, which I'm enjoying a lot. Uh, oh, I just I finished uh, watching Emily in Paris, and then I started rewatching it. Oh, okay. Well, get, we'll get to that. In yeah, a bit. just to get into the finer detail of this uh, this modern uh, this contemporary masterpiece. Um, I, yeah, that's about it. It's been pretty cold here, and very rainy. But uh, uh, yeah, what have you been up to? Well, I have also started rewatching Emily in Paris, and um, so uh, yeah, no, you're. Your activities seem so uh, smart because you're the smart one of the podcast and I'm the himbo. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you heard it here first. Wait, should we do a who painted the Mona Lisa? Da Vinci? Da Vinci? <laughs> I'm, I'm basically the Da Vinci twins rolled into one. They're hot. Canadian. They are hot. Yeah, Canadian. I can't believe they're Canadian. Yeah. I thought they were I thought they were like Dutch or like one of those slutty Slavic uh nations. Oh yeah. You know, like Hungary or uh Czechia. <laughs> Czechia. Could you identify their uh, location just by watching the uh, surrounding? Do you know where I, they are in Canada? I truly thought they were like Central European. Is that like Saskatchewan? <laughs> God, what if they're from Winnipeg? Uh, is that where you're from, Shamik? Yes, I'm from Winnipeg. <laughs> I'd love to go one day. What is it like there? We'll go one day. Uh, it's frigid in the winter, but everyone's warm in the summer. That's nice. And there's nice beaches nearby in uh, Lake Country. Mm -hmm. uh, and great like burger bars and things. Maybe but I can uh, return the favor one day and bring you to uh, meet my parents in Ranana in Israel. That'd be super sweet. A little suburbia. Everything's still locked down there. I love suburbia. I grew up in suburban Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. Seem to tell. We have the best shopping malls. We did not have the best shopping mall in our area. The best shopping mall in Winnipeg is Polo Park, which is at the other end of the city near the mm -hmm. airport. Well, um, just just to uh, make it clear to our listeners, Pshamak and I are uh, professional mall rats. Great aficionados of the mall culture and uh, the offering. So uh, every city we go to, we uh, not just visit, but try to frequent the local <laughs> shopping exactly. malls. We should do we should do a listicle or just rate uh, our best shopping mall experiences, both Ooh, alone and really together. Good. And uh, I'm really open to like Westfield malls or Simon malls sponsoring mm -hmm. this podcast in the future. Oh, absolutely. So. Yeah, so contact us. And I know Simon Malls loves art. They're big art collectors. Mm -hmm. 
So maybe we can broadcast live from a mall once uh, that's physically allowed. Maybe we should do like a vacuum, like a vacuum type, like a pod or something inside a shopping mall, <laughs> like a recording booth, like the uh, the SUV Trump was driving around in uh, <laughs> when he insisted going out of Walter Reed. <laughs> oh, so good. Um, wait, so going back for a second to Emily in Paris, uh, on, on episode two, uh, Luke, one of the collegen at the <laughs> office, what's the, what's the French pronunciation for that? I don't want to make a fool of myself. Uh, co- colleague. <laughs> um, anyways, he runs into, uh, Emily who's sitting at a, a street side cafe and he, gets candid with her about her American approaches being a little sort of bulldozery. Uh, <laughs> and then at some point he tells her, uh, well, you know, you Americans, you, um, you live to work. No, sorry. You work to live, but we French, we live to work. What is, uh, what is your take on that? How does that describe the discrepancy between the two cultures? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> You just opened a crazy can of worms. Um, okay, well, uh, maybe we can go through different kind of <laughs> areas. And since this is a arts and culture podcast, let's just center it in the art world. Mm-hmm. Um, well, funny well, enough, but you and I actually work together at a at some point. Yes, we we both worked at a nameless blue chip German gallery, and. So actually, uh, I think that's a good starting point. So I feel like that gallery that we worked at doing, you know, some small odd jobs uh, versus like the New York equivalent. I feel like the German one was very sane. Mm -hmm. Uh, Imagine sitting in the basement of Gagosian doing like stuffing envelopes. We had like a, we had a Susan from Seinfeld moment there. We were licking so many envelopes of low quality. <laughs> we could have just keeled over. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was actually like everyone, it was super chill and very nice. You know, the only one bad moment was where we got accused of uh, drinking too much coffee and taking too many snacks from the snack drawer. Mm-hmm. Um but I just feel like the kind of American equivalent of being in that situation would have been like the most both passive aggressive and outwardly aggressive experience. And of unpaid. <laughs> yeah, and unpaid, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I like, feel like you'd have to be an MFA graduate to even get to that unpaid internship uh, point to like, uh, you know, toxic envelopes like Susan from Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, and I feel like, uh, you know, you walk into a gallery in New York and there's, sorry, it's a stereotype, but it's true. There's instant attitude. People are just like frazzled that you've walked in. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I mean, especially now during COVID, like, first of all, you have to make an appointment. But second of all, if you just walk in, they don't even like, they sort of scan you, ask you if you even have a reservation or, uh, yeah, you definitely feel uninvited. Yeah. And it's just, I, I think back to like, you know, being in New York, like last summer or the, or the year before or whatever. And, uh, it's, it's always this look of terror when you walk in, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and, 
And uh, the hair situation, too. I feel like everyone has like a perma blowout in New York, much oh like God. Emily. Much <laughs> like, like Emily. It's actually funny. I noticed the gender discrepancy, regardless of the cultural differences uh, on Emily in Paris. I feel like every single woman has a blowout, blowout. Even Sylvie, the boss, has some kind of like a more sort of refined French uh, version of a blowout, but still, I feel like that's something that I might bring up uh, with Patricia Fields as an odd choice <laughs> across the board. But then all the men have a like a fucking either Goo Goo Dolls. What's the guy's? Uh, what's the lead singer's name? Like a Bon Jovi, Rob something, Rob Thomas. Yeah, yeah. like like some sort of like weird '90s like uh, like Peter Pan uh, as the French called Carré. Um, <laughs> And then either that or they look like some like snake oil salesman in the arts with the hair like sleek back. <laughs> but Luke's hair is literally disgusting. It looks like I a... don't understand it. <laughs> it's... That's where you get the wig master on set. It's like we need to do something about this. <laughs> it is. Very, yeah, it's a very odd texture. It's like I can't tell if it's some sort of like painted on like comb over with some like residual like static electricity um but he does uh, speak truth to power and there's a uh, one meeting i think well it's actually the first meeting that emily has with the whole team and she introduces herself in this like very scripted way and then at some point luke the colleague um stops her and he tells her asks her why are you shouting <laughs> which <laughs> Honestly describes perfectly 90% of the Americans I know in my life or, um, yeah, I think this sort of cultural need to be eloquent and speak sort of, um, clearly has like up the decibels in ways that no one's even like, you know, commenting on at this point, but like people yell here. Oh no, they're definitely loud. And then the funny thing is when they're in, uh, in Europe as I won't use the E-word expats. Uh, <laughs> they're like, Americans are so loud. Why are they so loud? Everywhere I go, there's loud Americans. And then they're like the fucking loudest people. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, Europe in terms of tourists uh, is not sending its best. No. At least to America. But what do I No, no, we and vice versa. No, either. vice versa. But I, I mean Americans in Europe. It's, it's always like the ones that live in Europe are complaining that Americans are so loud. And it's like, meanwhile, they're the loudest people we know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I will say, though, the, the team on Emily in Paris in the, um, uh, in the branding office keeps complaining that America is trying to be like, you know, this imperialistic force this, that tries to like shove down its principles, down a much more refined European taste's throat and stuff like that, which is resonant with me and I agree with. But at the same time, like you see this stuff that the uh, the, the designer like um, agency does and it's pretty tasteless. <laughs> exactly. Like they're like the perfume commercials, pretty tasteless. It kind of reminds me of those uh, Natalie Portman, like cheesy. What perfumes was she uh, the face of? I don't know, like, Lancome or some other old lady perfume. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's like the tacky, like, uh, Parisian bridge, like, woman walking through it in the nude and turns yeah, into a dove. 
It's like that red uh, uh, red flag, that SNL parody with Kristen Wiig. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Which we will also link to on the Instagram. Yeah. Oh, my God. Every, every, every yeah, every, like, it's like Parisian girl commercial is that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think another uh, area worth uh, excavating is kind of artist appearances and fashions. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of what I notice when I go to New York, especially is that everybody is dressed like a working class hero, mm-hmm. like, you know, LARPing to the max and kind of looks like they're, you know, art handling by day and moving around between lovers in a U-Haul by night. Yeah and uh well this is uh that's definitely the hegemony of the ex the lower east side skater um skater boy sort of export i feel like that sort of really found its way into uh into culture here on all levels and i just can't for the life of me still figure out why there's such a such a need to like look below your class in our culture um, yeah, as as two people from working class backgrounds, we don't appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't bend over backwards to look, uh, you know, upward of my class. Exactly. Uh, but it's definitely a funny tendency, I think. Yeah, and then uh, I guess the, what, the what's the European kind of, you know, uh, contrary contrary aspect to that. Um. Art ho, yeah. I mean, I bad haircuts, bad haircuts. Um, I don't know. Has have have the uh, yellow vests found their way into like uh, faux low class uh, uh, fashion in Paris? I'm sure it has. I'm sure it's been featured in some uh, runway or two over the past oh yeah years. Well, as we know, the fashion world uh, is stupid and has no ideas because just <laughs> a just bankrupt look at what, industry. Yeah. Uh, morally, ethically, intellectually, emotionally, uh, the one thing it has going is aesthetics, but even those aren't really kind of cutting edge. Just look at the way uh, people are addressing like our era in COVID. It's like, yeah. Oh, the model didn't have shoes because people are on zoom calls and don't have to wear shoes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I feel like, like th- that industry's just gotten, uh, I guess so big. It's just like a giant star that sort of exhausted its own resources and is starting to implode and like collapse onto itself. So at this point, like fresh out of ideas, it's sort of clinging on to, um, clinging on to either you know the social justice moment or the politics and the aesthetics are sort of brushed just brushed aside and uh, like you know the little that i follow in the art in the uh, fashion world it just seems like such a it's just completely out of fresh ideas everything i see now is just such a like a mishmash of this and that trend from like the previous whatever 10 20 years and nothing is refreshing anymore at this point oh exactly <clears throat> um so you yeah. sounded like amy goodman there for a second <laughs> <laughs> sorry i just had a really yummy snack and so i apologize in advance for any asmr offenses <laughs> or clearing drinking... of my throat this what, is what did you w- eat uh one of those like 
like uh, rice rice cake. Like uh, it's hard to explain. They're like triangle shaped. They're like they're like Doritos, but they're made out of rice cakes, <laughs> and they're like sweet and salty. I threw it out. I forget what the brand is. I have called. no idea what this is. But yeah, welcome to the War and Peace Report. This is democracy now. <laughs> We're gonna have Fiona Apple play a play a song from play fetch the bolt cutters. <laughs> um in support of uh South Dakota North Dakota pipeline. Uh sorry I'm getting too mean. Um anyways, uh another thing I feel like so just to compare the European culture and the American culture, especially like in the um in the context of the arts, I will venture to say that just looking at the American perspective, like as big as and as pivotal and seminal and important as New York is, I feel like at this point in time and perhaps even longer, might someone might uh, claim it's been kind of mediocre <laughs> across the board. <laughs> um shocker shocker like i don't know i just recently we recently sort of re unearthed re unearthed that uh uh that piece from our bible artnet news uh, <laughs> page six of the arts about uh eliza douglas's quote-unquote uh rise to uh fame and uh oh my god i highlighted so many parts in the uh so many paragraphs uh, from that, that article. So do you want to tell us something about her without being too shady? <laughs> what's the what's the European connection? I just feel like this is such a good Europe-America bridge. Yeah, yeah, that was a good segue. I think that is a good bridge between Europe and America. Uh, so I think maybe before we get into more, I think uh, the bridge and the moral of the story is that if you are well connected and uh, grow up in a Greenwich Village uh, standalone home or townhouse, mm-hmm. then you too can uh, work your way up the art world ladder. Yeah. So the- and let me just can I just say one last thing? Even though I find Emily to be at certain moments slightly sort of performatively preachy, she's. There is some humility to her. Like, I just, throughout watching the show, I just couldn't bring myself to get upset at her. She's just so thoroughly sweet and, like, well-intentioned that something just works well in that show. It Like, it does get preachy sometimes, but, like, at the end of it, you just don't take it all that seriously. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I feel like... Uh... Okay, her age is ambiguous uh, in Emily in Paris. Like She's definitely like 21, 22. Yeah. And it's never really explained, but she seems in a high enough position that the boss is pregnant, so she doesn't get to go to Paris, which, first of all, doesn't make any sense because mm-hmm. you know, she's going to give birth in six months or something yeah. at least. But uh, so the number two that gets to go is Emily and she doesn't speak French. So yeah, I guess she's high enough. So I, yeah, I don't know if she's like 31 or 34. I don't know what the right. story is. I also feel like portraying the American boss as this benevolent sort of supportive angel is it's like, 
it's funny that's i literally yeah i don't believe that she seems too supportive and uh mentor like yeah uh i feel like they're too she's not that much older than her it's not mm-hmm. that it's like oh the the 64 year old boss who's about to retire and she's being benevolent but right. uh i don't know what do i know yeah. i've only worked shitty jobs so <laughs> Thank God I am a freelance artist because the thought of having to, you know, commit yourself to somebody else's life's work is just, it sounds terrible to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, the jobs I've had have been, uh, you know, as you know, but the listeners don't, my favorite job in the world, Domino's police, <laughs> Domino's police, Domino's <laughs> pizza <laughs> delivery. What a Freudian slip, Shama. Yeah. <laughs> I was the pizza police, the Domino's delivery driver, which was an amazing job. Well paid. We got free pizza that got messed up. We got a 50% discount and you got to drive around and listen to music all day. So, what about Sunglass Hut? Sunglass Hut was good, but... Uh, we were a kiosk location, which was in the center of the mall, which means it's not air conditioned in the summer. The actual stores are air conditioned. Were there turf wars with the Israeli uh, <laughs> Dead Sea product? Uh, uh, secret. <laughs> not Ahava. Secret. Secret. Is, is the mall one. We didn't have secret. Back I hope then. Madeline Albright's not listening to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> She's shady. Allegedly. Um, so that was good. I worked at an art supply store mm-hmm. uh, and made a friend there, the manager, Katie, and she let me steal. And I'm not one of these, uh, you know, people that steals or shoplifts or gets off on that. But she was like, you want a screen print? Just go get a garbage bag and take all the screen printing stuff you need. And those things are fucking overpriced to begin with. Exactly. And the owners were such losers. So it's like, whatever, they deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> those places are such big ripoffs. Yeah, they are. The markup was crazy because we saw kind of what the costs were. Mm-hmm. And then I worked at a media art center, which was great, uh, until this mess of a loser came in to be the director mm-hmm. and <laughs> was just abusive to everyone. And like every sitcom or movie the reason he acted that way was because he was insecure because he was unqualified for the job Mm -hmm. so what can you do well i was a teacher up until a year and a half ago um i was had head teacher at a uh, after school program in a reformed jewish congregation in manhattan and it was one of the best jobs that i've had in my life i taught a uh, first grade, fifth grade, and seventh grade for almost four years, and I fucking love those kids, and I loved my job. Mm. Um, but then a year Mazel. and a half ago, thank you, the rabbi just called me out of the blue and was like, "Oh, sorry, we're not rehiring you to come back next year." Um, so I guess I was for- forced into hiatus, <laughs> um, and I took with me all my uh, high society secrets and gossip because it was a very affluent community and congregation in manhattan uh, hmm. so the secrets uh, stay with me well guess what it sounds beshert to me <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm uh i'm allowed to use those terms uh my 23 and me says i'm related to many jews true but do not have the Ashkenazi gene. <laughs> and as we've established on the previous episode, I'm sure our families many generations ago have a uh, cross paths. 
Exactly. We're cousins. We're from the same region. Yeah, we are cousins. Also, shout out to uh, Queen of the Pod, Martha Stewart, for having just published her 97th book. Amazing. 97th cookbook. And uh, yeah, she, Gratulatia, uh, Marta. <laughs> <laughs> she, um, yeah, she mentioned her uh, 100th book might be a memoir. So we're, uh, we're going to uh, just wait for that. I hope she narrates it like the meaning of Mariah Carey, which I listened to on the way to and from Copenhagen last With week. With her baritone voice. Oh, yeah. She's very baritone now. Yeah. I guess it's, uh, you know, as you age, your voice gets deeper, which mine has. And Well, um, Martha's voice was always deep. No, it's true. Yeah. But I highly recommend the meaning of Mariah. Mm-hmm. It's an inspirational, but at oftentimes sad memoir and no honestly (laughs) like there's many sad moments and it's really a miracle that she's come so far in her life does she address the uh, colossal failure of that one uh times square ball drop uh performance (laughs) she does does actually (laughs) she she what was she on uh, it was probably like ryan seacrest or like dick clark's rockin new year's eve oh no i mean what, what did she take Oh, no, she didn't take anything. I think she was being sabotaged by Stella, that messy Russian manager, the one that made her do the reality show. Mm -hmm. Um, But she she mentions that, and apparently a lot of it has to do with cold weather. Uh, It was freezing. I think it was like uh, for Europeans, it was minus 20 degrees Celsius. Yeah. That one New Year. Um, I mean, even if it's like 15 Celsius, that's too cold to sing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like you wouldn't, you wouldn't take a, a priceless violin into minus 20 degree weather. And play mm-hmm. so Mariah should not be doing that. Uh, Absolutely outdoors. not. And also at her level and fame, like, can't you just pick and choose whatever it is you want to do and make sure there's no, like the risk yeah. is low. But I feel like, honestly, I feel like it was a technical error that just, mm-hmm. You know, kind of like the Ashley Simpson on SNL thing. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Which is always worth a rewatch. So good. Thanks for reminding me that. By the way, (laughs) by the way, since this isn't this is an arts and culture podcast, I highly recommend that everyone watches the Ashley Simpson show. on YouTube. Is that is that pre or post nose? (laughs) Oh, that's pre nose job. Uh-huh. And then uh, the New York Times podcast, the, mm-hmm. the music podcast, they did a two episode podcast on the Ashley Simpson show, which was amazing, mm-hmm. like two years ago or so. So you can find that on Spotify. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. So just to go back to Emily for a second, would you describe her as the like typical american overachiever of our age how would you describe her as a what kind of millennial is she yeah i was trying to figure out okay because she's she's from chicago on mm-hmm. the show and you know that can mean a lot of things like she's either from the city actually or maybe you know she's from suburbia mm-hmm. or a small town that also changes things yeah. and i was trying to think are is there a difference between this kind of millennial overachiever uh, in New York versus like flyover country. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't think there actually is. Maybe it just manifests in different ways. Like, I mean, she definitely fits the bill of living to work. Yes, definitely. And like she, I mean, she, she eats and breeds it and it's a yeah, 24 seven lifestyle for her. Yeah. It's a work workaholicism, which I know people, you know, even in Winnipeg like that. But mm-hmm. when I think about it, people that I know in Europe, they're not really like that. Yeah. And like, maybe- I distinctly remember moving to Berlin and like, it's, it's not that it's frowned upon, but you don't like walk into a a party and walk up to someone and ask them what they do. It's almost offensive uh, yeah. to pry into someone's business by asking them what to do. But here it's like that. That's how you start a conversation with someone. Yeah. Do people still ask things like that? What do you do? I mean, there hasn't yeah. been any social engagement. In- <laughs> no, but I feel like it's, you know, like I don't really ask it because... Like, I'm trying to be class conscious and Same. not that, like, I'm not trying to, I'm not, like, scared of prying. Like, I'm not going to be like, hey, who are you sleeping with to a stranger? Yeah. But the reason I don't ask it is because, I don't know, maybe they're not doing anything or maybe they were fired or maybe yeah, they're exactly. embarrassed of their job. So I don't want to, like, put people on the spot. Yeah, That's and why I, think, I think in the arts especially, it extends to, like, I don't ask people, like, either maybe like what are you working on now but like what do you have coming up that to me is the mother of all setups because what if you don't oh, have anything totally. coming up that's so no, rude exactly. then you just stumble and try to find something elegant to say yeah no i highly agree it's like you know kind of proceed with caution like mariah says mm-hmm. and uh yeah don't put people in awkward situations that's yeah. kind of that that should be like everyone's life motto yeah for everything and my biggest takeaway from uh, Emmeline Paris from Sylvie's approach to life is they attend this one uh, soiree, and Emily immediately <laughs> starts talking business to one of the with one of the guys, and Sylvie takes her to the side afterwards and tells her, "You don't talk talk business at a soiree." <laughs> she's almost like shocked that she started a business conversation at a party. Which is yeah. just unfathomable in the American context. Here, you like go to parties to extend and continue the business mentality that sort of pervaded in the daytime. Well, yeah, it's. Uh, I know. I guess. Yeah, that really manifests itself in New York. Definitely, like you can see the artists who are just constantly hustling in this very thirsty way like emily Mm -hmm. whereas i guess the kind of you know analogous in berlin is like they're just at the club getting wasted all the time right i mean which leads to exhibition opportunities you could also make the claim that there's just not a lot of opportunities out there in well specifically in berlin but generally in europe that it's not um, it might be simple, you know, to start a business conversation at a soiree, but like, what, what is the, uh, what are the means to the ends? Like, is there an opportunity at the end of these solicitations? I don't know. It just feels like the cultural mentality in America. Um, I can't say if it's the chicken or the egg, if there's a lot of opportunities out there. So you have to sort of scout and, you know, fish for them at every, every turn and every opportunity in America, or like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this Eliza Douglas article that we reread. Um, yeah, this is the Thoughts on Art Time Machine. 
yes. segment. Yeah, some vintage reporting. Uh, I'm only bringing that up because I feel like it's not just a good segue between the you know the European mentality and the American, but also kind of lays the differences uh, bare between opportunities in Europe versus opportunities in the States. Um, and so Eliza Douglas, Douglas, when I worked shortly, briefly in the uh, Jewish Museum a couple of years ago, she had a lobby installation there. Um, can you eloquently describe to our <laughs> listeners what her paintings look like currently or what they are? Wait, can I just ask a quick question about uh, yeah. exhibiting at the Jewish Museum? Yeah. Is there like a one drop rule in effect there or what's the deal? Uh, well, there's there's several levels to, and layers to the Jewish Museum. Basically like any other contemporary museum, there's the, you know, the historical layer and there's the Jewish angle. And then then there's the uh contemporary stuff which is handled by um very talented curator Kelly Taxter and I honestly do have no idea what the outreach or the the sort of um, how they get people on their radar to show them just absolutely no idea I know for a fact the museum doesn't purchase there's no acquisitions oh, okay done in that but is museum. that is that related to the Jewish story or is it just like we're doing mi- contemporary programming? You mean the mission of the Jewish Museum? No, no, no. But the contemporary programming. Because I know they had all those exhibitions like of uh, like Abex in the 60s and stuff. Right. Uh, that are very famous, those exhibitions. Yeah. But contemporary programming at the Jewish Museum, is it like this is a Jewish artist? Or is there some relevance to like I think you know, sh- contemporary sure. Jewish life? or Short answer, no. So it could just literally be anything. Like it doesn't pertain to kind of the context it's in. So the fact that it's the Jewish museum with kind of historical programming and things. Yeah. Like honestly, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to scan my memory of all the. Like basically I'm asking, could you and I have a show there? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Like if, if it was, uh, if the connection was relevant enough, like, you know, I'm just thinking one time, uh, one lobby installation was an uh, Alex Israel profile like uh, how, how is that yeah how is that in any form or shape conducive to like to whatever the mission of the jewish museum is yeah um, well okay so eliza douglas uh kind of the paintings that have been popping off uh with collectors for the last few years are uh these outstretched arms mm-hmm. um with rendered hands and uh so you know the article delves deeper into that uh you know it says douglas did not make the paintings on view at the jewish museum alone Mm -hmm. as she does for much of her work she hired another painter to render the more detailed hands while the sleeves are her own handiwork in other cases she has ordered entire compositions from dothan a village in china that produces more than half of the world's paintings. The majority are reproductions of canonized classics or hotel decorations. Well, how do, how do the, uh, how do the hands tie in with that social commentary of source outsourcing the painting process? Are we supposed to, are we supposed to connect the dots? 
I don't know. I, I do, just uh, I do find it interesting though because there's I will not say the uh, L word L word out loud lazy, but there's like other hints in the article uh, that it might have to do with some form of laziness. Um, it says that she began painting abstract forms from random objects in her house when she was still sort of floundering as a 20 something year old uh, New Yorker trying to not take on two series of jobs to leave some, you know, space for the prospect of an art career at some point or another. Um, so she would, uh, reproduce images on small canvases of like, uh, um where was it like found images uh other items that she found around the house and she said it was she thought it was a good way to get a lot of decent looking stuff made really quickly um and she was thinking about how she might be able to get uh the person she was applying for a spot in the uh, Stelschule uh program to get that person that professor to uh think that she was doing something more elaborate than what she was actually doing and just to go back for a second, um, the article also mentions that in 2014, after you know floundering for X amount of years in New York, she uh, like she heard of uh, Städelschule in Frankfurt. Uh, a couple of friends, uh, friends of ours, went to Städelschule. Can you say a thing or two about that program, Shemek? I honestly don't know anything about it, but mm-hmm. <laughs> what what do you no, what no. do we think we know about what is? <laughs> <laughs> What is what is the cliche understanding of it? Uh, I don't know. I feel like it just sucks the energy out of the room. It's like, uh-huh. uh, well, it's, it's an arts it's an arts program. Is that a Meister Schuler or what is it? Is like a continuation of a MFA, basically. I you know what? I've lived in Europe for ten years and I still don't understand the yeah. higher education system. Well, it's, it's so funny. ambiguous. It's it is like- ambiguous. When when I started a, a school at Utica, um, the program was still. Uh, a diploma diploma program which is essentially like equivalent to be a fan mfa but it was a a non-stop five-year uh program and like two years after i started they split it up and you would either do bfa or mfa but then after those five years you had the option to continue on to do a meister schuler which is like i guess i don't know more like close-knit um, like supervision studio work with a one specific artist teacher. I don't know. Oh, sounds oppressive. It, it is oppressive. <laughs> and like, I, I, we were just saying that before, like neither of us has a, you know, like formal painterly education. So none of us was, you know, pressed under the thumb of an authoritarian, like arts diva who tries to mold students in their own shape and form. Um, so luckily we've didn't even have to have to escape that sort of pressure. Oh yeah. No, I mean, look, I studied architecture. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast yet, but, um, I feel fortunate that there wasn't some sort of, uh, egotistical force that was, Mm -hmm. you know, forcing them into our minds. Like that's the sense I get from, uh, uh, you know, like Städelschule or, you know, these other kind of other kinds of programs in, in Europe and Germany in, sp- in particular. Uh, Wait, you're telling you know, me Rem Kulhas doesn't have any like master <laughs> oppressive master class anywhere? Oh God, I'm sure he does. But uh, let's just say it felt more decentralized in my program. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in, in Europe, it's like, and especially Germany, there's this obsession with uh, 
who the tutor was. It's like, who gives a fuck? Like, mm-hmm. like this artist is better or they're more worthy or they should be shown by a gallery because uh, Albert Ulin was uh, their professor. Mm-hmm. Like this whole outdated model of working in servitude to like Olafur Eliasson. <laughs> And also just Germans are end. just, they're so fucking obsessed with titles. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, it's credentialism to the mm-hmm. max. It's like, oh, you're more worthy because you got into the studio group of Professor X. And it's like, what was that based on that they saw like 10 slides when you were 18 years old? Mm-hmm. It And then that's just further reinforced going back even further where it's like, you know, children are age 12 and are already being filtered into streams. Right. It's just like so stupid, but well, you know, yeah. Well, the, it says here that Stadelschule is a tertiary school of arts in uh, Frankfurt am Main, Germany, and it only accepts two hundred student. Uh, sorry, twenty students each year from five hundred applicants. So, uh, I get the appeal of you know an intense uh, application process where only only a select few get in, but like generally speaking, it doesn't even elevate the status of the program. Like I'm just looking at the. Uh, uh, notable alumni of the program like what? honestly it, it probably has to do more with my general stupidity Look, as, but as we know there's amazing people that have uh you know gone through the program and really shitty people and yeah <laughs> like I just, anything i again this has probably to do with my stupidity and lack of knowledge but i only recognize like Jan vo a notable alumni max beckman but that's historical and Anne Imhoff, who's the uh, uh, you the, know, the, the partner of Eliza Douglas, which, yeah, uh, Queen Bee of that uh, <laughs> that union. Uh, so what happened is Douglas, essentially, as I said before, was sort of floundering in New York. Decided on a whim to apply, uh, and that's I guess uh, that's me paraphrasing it. But uh, decided on a whim to uh, apply to Städelschule after doing, I guess, BFA at Bard. In photography in New York and just got accepted by just putting together a couple of like I uh, found images and um, turning them into uh, into paintings and there she met Anna Imhoff who's a performance artist is that the best way to describe her yes performance predominantly so but then of course galleries try to wring out physical objects to sell out of that practice mm-hmm. and she also represented Germany in the Last yes. Venice Biennial, or is it yeah. two biennials ago already? I think that was two biennials ago. I can't keep track. Oh, my God. Um, so Douglas uh, starts her studies in a Städelschule, and she goes to a, a fucking Texte zur Kunst <laughs> 25th anniversary gala, which is like, wow, what would be sounds the... sounds exciting. <laughs> yeah. I can only, like, I'm just picturing the amount of, like, black mock necks... Uh, <laughs> present in this space and cheap uh cheap wine uh everybody's standing in a cloud of like cheap rollies cigarette smoke um what, what would be the american the new york equivalent of texetsu kunst god i don't know like like the verso law yeah like yeah exactly like a verso books gala yeah in like the a, lobby yeah like a socially distanced like dsa meeting <laughs> in the park somewhere um 
anyways, they run into each other at the Texas O'Kun's anniversary gala, and they they hit it off, and from there on, they start sort of a low-key collaboration, and that kind of catapults um, Eliza Douglas's rise to fame, where she all of a sudden has like three three museum shows, half a dozen solo shows, gallery representation on two continents. Well, I think and, we need to rewind a tiny bit. How so? Uh, uh, kind of even before that, she's in Balenciaga runway shows and Vetmont runway shows. Oh, I didn't even realize and, that. Yeah, and she's a a six foot tall fashion muse, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think this all goes hand in hand that it's just uh, you know, the attention economy, mm-hmm. you know, with a uh, art and fashion. And once again, I feel like to a certain extent it's it has been merited, but this uh, overstated focus on the white male mediocrity and the ease at which, you know, the world's an oyster for the cishet white men. I feel like there's, um, I don't know, I hear stories of just a lot of mediocrity that's out there that's unrelated to either the color of your skin or... Um, your assigned gender at birth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, no, uh, mediocrity is an equal opportunity crime. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, of course, it's easier for the white cishat uh, mediocrity, but... Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just uh, just Google this article and, you know, there's a, a painting that looks like kind of a Michael Kraber uh, or like a better render David Ostrowski. But then there's hands that someone else painted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is true. Yeah. The David, David Ostrowski uh, reference. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think the the kind of moral of the story here is it's just uh some things get overinflated by market hype and, and also ju- and also just the economy of having attended the right school yeah having wealthy parents you know it's like uh when i was 17 or 18 i never thought to apply to school outside of winnipeg Mm -hmm. because no one ever encouraged me to do so and my parents had no money and why would i ever think to do that yeah like you know some people have a not a leg up but uh the leg is already up yeah yeah the leg is like already in a different stratosphere so and honestly check check your privilege yeah, basically. And honestly, I don't even know how it works because, like, I I went to Utica and it's obviously nothing like the American system. <clears throat> the uh, the very, ex- uh, you know, expensive MFA programs where a part of the deal essentially is that you pay all this money, but they also bring in a lot of uh, potential collectors, dealers, museum people and stuff like that. And it's just an easier, uh, easier way to get your foot in any door. But, like, I don't know, the Utica never offered anything like that. Um, I like know for a fact that some, some dealers, of course, they do go to the Rundgang, the end of year exhibition at Udaka and sort of, um, you know, pick, uh, the top of the crop, whatever that means. I just, there's, there's not an industry really in Berlin. I feel like of like 
um you know scouting for the next big talent at a end of year exhibition correct me if i'm wrong Pshama, because you're still well, I've, i feel like some dealers are big on that like uh you know like alex duva who we both know i feel like he makes an effort he goes to these exhibitions but mm-hmm. he's also in this kind of segment of the art market which is about you know very young artists you know trying to find the next big thing etc so it's the next you know, big his... airbrush artist. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like in the best interest of a dealer in that segment to do that. But, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, you know, Berlin isn't New York. So I feel like maybe all the dealers should make an effort just to kind of stay on top of everything and not just have it completely filtered to them by like their best collectors or something. Mm-hmm. You know, but listen, I like years down the line. I live in New York, and I I make the effort to go the, the to go to the MFA exhibitions and any other form of end of year exhibitions. And like, I still think you should nip this uh, um, this habit in the bud because you got to give the artist a chance to mature a little bit. Like this whole notion of this like you know prodigy that's just sitting there waiting for you to pluck them out of a uh, anonymity at a mfa exhibition like fucking let the person just mature yeah. a little bit and you see a lot of not a lot but there is a tendency now in the art world in new york to just put a lot of focus and give a lot of you know uh, put a lot of weight onto very young artists oh exactly i mean i'm sorry i'm i don't believe in uh this idea of like artistic genius or that people are prodigies actually like maybe maybe a 12 year old that can draw you know a photorealistic drawing is a yeah a technically skilled virtuoso yeah but you know like i'm sorry ryan mcginley didn't need to be the youngest artist to ever have a solo show at the whitney museum mm-hmm. like what is like what is the value of that work or i mean i feel like young artists uh i'm just the only examples i'm thinking of and i don't want to name names but they're essentially only capable just by way of inexperience of creating refined pastiche um, yeah. because you just don't have life experience to uh, build on. And, um, well, yeah, I think that's such a, such a constant presence in the art world now. There's so much pastiche, which, you know, by definition is just making and regurgitating like vague historical references and mm-hmm. styles and it doesn't hold any weight and unfortunately the market's to blame but then institutions but I mean, are wound into this also people's uh, collective and historical memory is pretty uh pretty yeah, limited and short like uh, you know that's uh, that's why it's so yeah, easy it's like to, they've... to have a gay picasso essentially no yeah <laughs> no i was gonna say it's like people forgot picasso exists or yeah. uh Botero or <laughs> yeah oh god okay we have two questions uh in the <laughs> thoughts on art listener mailbag i just i just heard the mailman come keep them coming though by the way yeah at uh thoughts on art at gmail.com we should do an instagram survey too maybe yeah we should actually mm-hmm. or uh, maybe a, tw- a twitter poll too sexy <laughs> or sexist uh why is the vagina masculine (laughs) 
Okay, we love giving unsolicited advice, so just yep. send I'm, in I'm questions. I'm Israeli. We're all about unsolicited advice. And, and I'm Slavic, so I'm just <laughs> annoying. Um, okay, so uh, we have two questions from Pooja. Uh, she asks, when will there be sweatshirts for your podcast? Mm-hmm. Uh, we should work on those. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, we should. What's yeah. I feel like once our listenership uh, numbers has gone up a little bit, yeah. Um, maybe yeah. We, maybe you can share the stats with me later. Yeah, I will. And and listeners, please share this podcast with your friends. We're now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you know you should click follow, share, subscribe, subscribe leave five stars, leave a positive, glowing review. So we appear on some year end lists or something mm-hmm. and then hopefully we can just quit our jobs as artists yeah and let's just get lucas werner to listen to our podcast <laughs> uh is he still with sienna miller or is that someone else <laughs> oh my god is that sienna with the one n or two n's <laughs> can't even keep track uh, the one in the september issue <laughs> yeah i feel like when we were in tuscany all the like inter-residency texting my phone kept auto-correcting <laughs> to sienna with double n which is not how you spell the name of the city that's true okay so we're gonna we're gonna work on those one day we'll mm-hmm. have them maybe maybe one day if we get to the patreon level of our lives we'll have should, should we do them aggressively oversized like ekhaus schmatte <laughs> Yes, please. Sorry, sorry. I should so, have said that. Sorry, Eckhouse Schmata, but it's true. Oh my god. Um, okay, so this, the second question from Pooja is I really don't like my online painting class because my professor <laughs> is <laughs> sorry, on, I know we're in the co- <laughs> I know we're in the COVID era, but online painting. How class. does that even work? What's the mechanisms of a you know, do, online painting do you, class? Do you have to use like an iPad Pro with the pencil attachment? How do you like calibrate the colors on the, on the camera? Okay, um, I don't like my online painting class because my professor is very milk toast, um, and it says milk toast, like th- milk th- and toast. I think it's pronounced milk wet toast. <laughs> oh yeah, we should ask yeah, that, Sylvie or Luke. <laughs> okay, what do I do? What, what should Pooja do? Um, I just would like to express my sympathies for having to participate in online uh, paintings classes. It sounds like a, it sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, it honestly does. And you know, we don't have enough information in this question. I don't know if this this person is in, you know, a low cost or free educational context, or if they're uh, at NYU and paying fifty five thousand dollars a year. Probably which, the latter. Yeah, that changes everything. If I had to pay all that money and be in an online class, uh, yeah, I would cancel that tuition check. Um, I mean, that's uh, that's the only way some mainland China people have a uh, to get into this country yeah, and stay here, which is insane. Yeah. Um, Wait, is that? But, do you think it's more of like a, a online crit thing, or is it an active like how to mix? paint and like how to use a I'm, brush <laughs> like, no i'm assuming it's like a university art school class mm-hmm. so it's it's probably more like like crit based which um i have to say even if it was in person you know take it all with a grain of salt like 
just just because someone is uh telling you your work sucks or your work is amazing and they have a few years experience on you doesn't mean they know everything yeah exactly like imagine josh smith was your uh oh my painting god. professor oh my god. it's like oh thanks for uh imparting your wisdom of shitty paintings on me i literally can't think of a single person who's you know opinions i find on the same level as like what they produce um as artists i guess i'm just trying to say like how, how do you like entrust so much of your intimate life's work into somebody else's opinion yeah. making um, i think i think what i've gained most uh in my educational background was just someone or even since uh someone just being more of just a an energy mentor right. as mystical as that sounds but I don't know. I and don't believe in this thing of someone saying like, uh, you shouldn't do that. And it's like, well, that's not what they would do, but maybe it's the right thing for you. Yeah. I feel like that should only come from your art dealer or gallery in terms of like what you should technically do or not do because it's yeah. like unsustainable or it's going in a wrong direction or whatever. But like just, um, reflecting on some personal experience, I feel like the most, um, the most impactful studio visits that I've had, funnily enough had to do with me sort of coming with my prepared speech uh elevator pitch and sort of realizing that it doesn't make sense it just wouldn't you know it didn't gel with a person and i found myself unable to kind of improvise on the fly and it kind of made me reflect after the fact after the studio visit on what i was saying why i was saying it and just looking at the work again and trying to gain a different perspective on it um and i feel like it's those moments these hurdle moments so to speak that kind of push you in a better direction but that's i guess in the context of uh the question of our listener that's something that has to come from you and i just feel like these like i don't know these crit moments put such like an outsize um like pressure on the whole moment it's just so unnatural and i feel like it's not conducive or helpful to your personal um personal evolution yeah I don't know. no i agree because i feel like in that context there the yeah even just a studio visit like somebody either loves your work or hates it i feel yeah, exactly. like there's there's little kind of gray area and I feel like that is very instinctual and it's very, you know, related to what someone's personal taste is. And you can't, you can't like intellectualize your way out of something being shitty, even though everyone tries um, or vice versa. So, you know, if someone comes to my studio and they love my work that's obviously going to be a different studio visit than someone being like, well, uh, have you considered uh, uh, research or reading certain texts? <laughs> and it's like, no, because that is not what my work's about. So, Yeah, or spend uh, five or six years of your life in the Whitney Independent Study Group to like <laughs> milk the uh, cow dry, um, the intellectual cow. Yeah. Um, and I think that's uh, totally fine if that's someone's work, but it's just this whole thing of like trying to, uh, you know, recategorize people and what they do mm -hmm. based on 
the viewers i don't know i mean oftentimes yeah, yeah the museum shows that i go to or even gallery shows that i go to the wall text or the press release like for 99% of the times they just do more harm and disservice to the work um i just try not to read those things they truly never add anything except for the biography part perhaps but like first of all i think artists should have a, a more minimized role in talking about their work writers are not a sorry um artists are not a they're not uh, actors or they're not in showbiz. They're not writers. They're not supposed to be people of word. Um, they might have a strong kind of foundation, uh, intellectual foundation or, uh, you know, reasons to make the work. But like you shouldn't be ex expected to talk that eloquently about your work, especially if it's not uh, theory based or like practice, like uh, uh, process based. I'm sorry. Uh, like if the work is more abstract or intuitive, like what, how, how eloquent can you be about it at the end of the day? Yeah. Yeah. And so this show, I, I just had, uh, open in Copenhagen. What I appreciate is that, uh, Peter, the dealer asked me to write him a letter, like a, mm -hmm. said, write me a letter, you know, via email, just telling me about the work that you've made. Yeah. And I feel like that was a very effective tool because it forces you to just in a very casual way, explain what you did mm -hmm. and present it the same way you would, you know, tell your mom or something or a friend right. that's not in the art world. And then it saves you from like, Oh, I need to reference, uh, you know, philosophy and theory and just like all these things that, aren't actually pertinent to the work right which that's like such a trap people fall into especially when it comes to uh institutional settings or applying for grants it's like you don't need to polish i'm not gonna say polish a turd because it's turd <laughs> but, but you know what i mean it's like it's like spraying it with chrome paint yeah and Lord only knows, I try to get accepted residencies. I have a folder on my computer that consists of about 50 like subfolders of applications that got denied to so many residency programs over the years. Like I have just not managed to crack that nut on, of how to get accepted to any of these programs. I'm trying to not be like uh, overtly cynical or a, uh, a pessimistic about my my thoughts on the matter, but it just like I've I guess what I'm trying to say is that like I've tried to over intellectualize uh, application forms and then I try to also dumb it down or like reduce it to a more like um, expressionist um, um, you know way of expressing yourself but like what, what's what's been your experience for example with residency programs well a bunch that I've applied to I haven't gone into as mm -hmm. well but I I think that's just very normal you know for all artists like you apply to tons of things and don't get in. Mm -hmm. um, there's a residency I got into last year, mm -hmm. but uh, sorry, not last year, this year it was in 2020, but due to coronavirus, uh, we didn't get to go. So it'll be next year. Yeah. But you know, a bunch of other things I apply for, I haven't gotten in and it's just, I think the, you know, in the end, in, every field but especially visual arts it's like 
most things aren't amazing or bad. It's mm-hmm. I think all should just be considered on the same plane. Like the the artists that are not having shows and nothing's happening aren't any worse than the super kind of, you know, objectively successful artists and vice versa. Like I think people who have tons of stuff happening aren't necessarily any better than someone who doesn't have a lot of stuff happening. No, I mean, if I anything, think, it's indicative of the general laziness of uh, the professionals who run yeah, that, definitely. this business. Yeah, it all comes down to, you know, in kind of various parts of the art world, people are scared to kind of put their neck on the line, mm-hmm. you know, put the fir- fuss, <laughs> first foot forward. Mm-hmm. Um, no one wants to seem uncool or not with it. Or Or just take a chance on someone. I feel like to a certain extent, there is a catch 22 in most of these opportunity prospects because like to get accepted to this or that residency program, you need to have like other, you know, credentialed residency experience uh, on the very same CV. And it's just impossible to sort of get into something without having had other things that are also impossible to get into. Um, yeah, it's it's that whole thing of, you know, even employment CVs. It's like, well, how are you supposed to get experience if no one will give you a job? Yeah, exactly. You know, and that is all just underpinned by, you know, kind of inequalities in society and everything. So, yeah, um, I don't our our advice is everyone just keep trying. Just don't don't lose belief in yourself. <laughs> Yeah, especially if you're a multi-generational West villager <laughs> and, have, and have the means to just keep trying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Well, Amir, are you uh, excited for anything this week? Uh, my father-in-law is turning 80 on oh Saturday. So That's we're so going, sweet. Yeah, we're going to Westchester to celebrate it. We're going to bring Kasha with us. Kasha the Bulldog. You can follow her at Kasha underscore Varnishka. <laughs> as, as seen uh, in our friend's Artnet News online mm-hmm. last week. Our, uh, our Bible, Artnet News. <laughs> Bible. Um, yeah, that's it. I've just uh, been making some new new work in the studio, taking a different direction. I have this upcoming, this new representation that i can't talk about yet but i've been making more work um i wish i could have people over at the studio for studio visits but it's just such like weird times i feel weird extending that invitation even though i would love to have people over yeah no i totally understand well maybe you can get uh hazmat suits that you uh spray down between visits (laughs) yeah just like the people who shop at the park slope food co-op (laughs) what's uh what do you have planned for the weekend uh well yesterday i set up uh, my work for this uh biennial here nearby Mm -hmm. it's called the jelonagura biennial and uh it's been around since the 1960s kind of in one form or another uh up until the 90s and then they stopped doing it and then this is the first year that it's resumed uh, so any, installed... any Stadel Schule alumni? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to check. Uh-huh. But but uh, I set up yesterday and it opens tomorrow, so I'm going to be there. Uh, Amazing. Staying in a thank you. So proud staying, of you. 
Thank you. I'm I'm officially a biennial artist now, which yes. means I can uh, start making work from uh, piles of bricks made out of my family's <laughs> made out of my family's traumas and uh, schmata art about the queer body. Oh my god! Is that is there a different tax bracket for biennial artists in Poland? <laughs> Uh, oh so yeah, I think, uh, maybe I can only pay 8% tax on everything now. Uh -huh. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be there in a moderately priced hotel that they're providing, which is very exciting. because I can walk to Starbucks every day, which is like life changing for me. Because mm -hmm. I'm a basic bitch like Emily. Wrong God. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So that's all I'm doing. And, uh, then I'm going to get back and, and, uh, I don't know, burn the rest of my studio remnants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been really into, uh, burning things made of wood in the wood stove. You should, you should turn it into some, uh, performance, uh, piece about, uh, voter suppression in the States <laughs> because why not? <laughs> oh, actually, Maybe. I think, I think I can go early voting in 10 days in Park Slope because you know the voter suppression in Park Slope is one of the <laughs> highest in the countries. <laughs> can, can you live stream from there legally? Is that allowed? <laughs> oh my god. I hope Adolf de Blasio is not uh, working out at the Y while I'm trying to vote. <laughs> working the steam room at the Y if it's still open. I'm sure he probably had it reopened just for him. Oh, what an idiot. What a fucking idiot. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, on that note... On that note, uh, choosy, choosy, Pshemek. Bye. Bye.